You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Hello, I'm Mirella Amato. Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. This season, we examine the impact COVID has had on every aspect of our food system, all the way from farm to table. We'll look at how things have changed and try to untangle what's going on behind the scenes so that we can strengthen our connection to our food. In this episode, pesky pathogens and official Zoom inspections. We're talking factory farming. Hello, Joshna. Hello, Mirella. How are you? I am well. So tell me, what was the last thing you ate? The last thing I ate was a little pull out all the stuff from the fridge lunch. So roasted sweet potatoes, a little bit of leftover steak, and uh, I had raita from an Indian takeout. Wait, what's that? that? The last two. Raita is just a yogurt condiment, essentially. yogurt. This one had yogurt, cucumbers, cumin, and pomegranate seeds in it, actually. Amazing. Uh, and that was just, yeah, just like a few spoons left in the container, and that went on top of my steak and sweet potatoes. That was my lunch. What did you have? That sounds delightful. It was really yummy, actually. And to be honest with you, what I'm not telling you is that I also had daikon sprouts that went on top. So this was like a proper, proper looking Did plated you, dinner. I was like, going to ask, pro- was it plated? Ah, oh, Josh. No. It, it was. It was. <laughs> it was. I have these new plates and it's all just the whole process makes me feel so nice. What did you have? Um, I, as you know, have become quite obsessed with making hummus. And uh, right. my new favorite thing is making a big green salad just you know lettuce cucumber tomato just your regular salt and pepper oil and vinegar and then putting a huge glop of hummus on top and uh you put the hummus on the lettuce on the salad is that is that wrong Uh oh i don't know right or wrong it's just that's a mega that's a mega thing to eat. How do you fork your way through hummus on salad greens? Amazing. Well, it, it, it sort of permeates the whole thing and, you know, okay, you would enjoy it because it, it ends up on every bite somehow. Yeah. And yeah. I, I guess I was inspired by, you know, what can I put on this salad that isn't meat? You know, if I'm, yes. you know, if I'm looking for a protein. So the, the hummus situation works really well. I, I did your little trick of taking the skins off the chickpeas it's uh, that it really changes the game. Really upped it? my game. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only slight snag is I. It's not. I don't know. It doesn't quite fill me up. So I. I can tell already. I'm right. getting a little bit, a little bit hungry. I'm going to need a mid afternoon snack. Something else in there. Yeah. So I need to right. figure out what else I can put in that salad so that it really feels like a full, a full meal, and I don't. Uh, I don't end up hungry later. But in the meantime, it's delicious. I feel like you need some complex carbs in there, baby. Okay. For example, right, either uh, uh, a little bit of cooked grain, okay, is what I would think. Like maybe cooked wheat berries or quinoa could just get sprinkled over, okay. um, and then you'll have a you'll have a bit more of a fibrous, wholesome boost to keep you going. Love it. Okay. Yeah, whole uh, some good whole grain, barley, quinoa, something nice. Oh, like we have that. barley, brown rice. We have barley, even okay, right? Something good and wholesome because then it'll give you a plateau and not a spike on the on the you know on the blood sugar side of things. Uh, but that that should do it for you. Why well, it's so handy to uh, have these conversations. I feel like I'm on the, on the winning end of these. <laughs> Amazing. 
Beautiful. So here we are continuing this awesome focus this season on really uh, zooming in on the impact of COVID on our food system. Uh, and really, we are trying to take you right from a start. Last time we started in the fields of agriculture to attempt to move the conversation from field uh, right to plate, as it would be. So today continues. And today we're focusing on meat plants and meat packing facilities because this issue was mega. So our listeners will remember that in season two, episode nine, the episode was called The Spice Called Variety, one of our early COVID episodes. We talked mm. about uh, zoonoses, which was a term that I'd heard for the first time. Right. And the v distinct possibility that factory farming might be responsible for COVID-19, right? Right, yes. And it turns out that it was not. Uh, the sci no. scientists have determined where it came from and through you know, examining the virus closely and comparing it to other types of viruses, they have figured out that, that mm -hmm. at no point did it come through chickens. It probably went directly from bats to uh, pangolins, potentially, and then right. to, to us. Uh, this, okay. this being said, um, that doesn't mean that factory farms are not the very likely source of our next pandemic. Well, the, exactly. This, this is not factory farming is not off the hook. It's just a whoo, not this time. Uh, right. But very much. Very, it seems very clear that the next one that will hit us will be born in a factory farm or in a feedlot somewhere. Yeah, we've had so many other outbreaks that have been smaller. Right. Uh, that have all been linked back to factory farms. And I was shocked to learn about this, but um, the United Nations in 2013, so, so years ago, said livest right. livestock health is the weakest link in our global health chain. There and both the WHO yeah. and the CDC have been warning us for years that factory farming... Yes could result in a huge pandemic. And this woman, Sonia Shaw, wrote a book called Pandemic in 2017, and she calls these factory farms ticking time bombs. Oh, that gives me chills just thinking about it, right? And, and I think from what I understand, the compelling link here is this, uh, is obviously it's close proximity, but it's also the lack of biodiversity. There was a talk about the fact that this that this virus spread so easily was because all of the creatures, all of the pigs or chickens in this feedlot are genetically identical. Because right, so which that makes it easier on the other end. Mat. Yeah, and the reason for that exactly is so it, that right? all of our you know chicken McNuggets or whatever, no, those are made with ground chicken. But anyway, so that all of the pieces yeah. on the other end are identical, right? That's what the, exactly. the goal is. And, and it's, it's a certain kind of breed of a bird and a pig that has been manipulated so that the yields are such and the meat is whatever it is and the fatty, you know what I mean? All of those sort of manipulations have happened. So we've created these identical creatures, which is essentially a welcome mat. It's beautiful uh, virus hospitality, right? Yeah, yeah. I have this fantastic quote I wanted to read for you. It's a little long, but it's by yeah. a man named Rob Wallace, who's an evolutionary biologist. And I think it really explains it Ooh, well. Okay. Um, so he says, factory farms are the best way to select for the most dangerous pathogens possible. 
if you're a pathogen, right. the being, you know, the, the, the virus, right? If you're a pathogen in a host, you don't want to kill your host too fast before you can get into the next host. Otherwise, you're cutting off your own line of transmission. So there's a hmm. cap on how much of a badass you can be. The faster you replicate, the more likely you end up killing your host before the next host can come along. If you're deep in the wilderness or on a small farm, you, the pathogen, are not going to regularly come across hosts. So you're going to keep your, vi- your virulence or your harm inflicted on the host pretty low mm-hmm. so that you don't run out of hosts, right? But if you get into a barn with 15,000 ch- uh, turkeys or 250,000 layer chickens, you can just burn right through. There's no cap on your being a badass, right? right? Oh, I love it. That's such a perfect way to describe this, I think. And how these are, they're like test tubes. They're incubators for these viruses. That's it. Yep. That's exactly it. It's, uh, there's, it's, uh, it just, it's easy, easy breeding ground. Uh, and I like also there's sort of a Darwinian angle on the move and the, and the path of the virus itself. Yes. Right. The virus understanding its goal is to stay alive and find as many hosts and as much hospitality as it possibly can, right? Yes. For sure. And you know, the the issue here is that we could be stopping these diseases at the source, right? We could be vaccinating animals, creating vaccines for these animals once right. these uh these viruses are first identified. But of course it comes down to money. And yes. I I was reading about the H7N9 virus, which was initially in uh, chickens. And then um, some people were getting it and they were getting sick, but because the chicken meat was still fine, they didn't do anything about it. Right. And it wasn't until it wasn't until the chickens started getting sick and dying that they started vaccinating the chickens. And then it just eradicated the virus and it never went to to humans again. Um, But, you know, comes down to money and always. And the cost of production, never mind what of creatures alive, dead, you know what I mean? We're not concerned at all about that. This is really just about the cost of production. Right. And because of that, my feeling is, and, you know, this might be dramatic, but considering like the, the WHO, the CDC, they've all gotten involved here and warned us, right? I feel like we need yeah. some kind of international, you know, how we have the Geneva Convention or, you know, like a, a different international agreements on like what's appropriate or not during a war we need some kind of international agreement to protect people by making sure that these factory farm i mean at the very least are eradicating these viruses at the source you know whether or not Mm -hmm. they've transmitted is that is that dramatic (laughs) i don't think it's dramatic at all because you have the we have two forces working so insanely against each other right our wild desire and demand for this meat and to you know what i mean and for cheap meat is what we want uh like beside the fact that these places that we have created to make this cheap meat are in fact breeding grounds uh for these diseases that stop the planet for a year and a half right like both it's it's very clear the writing is on the wall here that one of these that this has to give right yeah uh and so having a some sort of global understanding about where the lines are. I mean, I, I hesitate only because I know this world and I know how not easy that is to do, but that doesn't mean that it's not what actually should be done. I mean, look, in my opinion, we should just really stop farming like this completely. But yeah, in as long as we will continue, let's have a bit more structure and regulation on the thing. Especially because you better believe that the people making the decisions on how to spend the money are nowhere near that uh 
that factory farm, right? They're not on the ground. Well, they're, well, exactly. they're probably in a different no. country, you know, so yeah. or they're not going to have those priorities. In their very comfortable house. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I'd, I think this is the only way, you know, of course, eradicating the whole system would be would be great. But in the interim, there's a few more steps exactly in between and here and there. COVID has shown us that something like this can be horrible. So hopefully, and I'm not seeing enough talk of zoonoses and, and factory farms and the regulations. No, not that at are all. Required. Me neither. They're not being indicted the way they deserve. I think it's really the truth. Okay, Morella, one of the other angles on meat and industrial meat production uh, that, that, that to me has been so interesting uh, around this pandemic has been about the working experience of the folks in the plant. And that, and that while uh, we, when we think about meat and meat as a meat packing facilities as you know as a COVID hotspot, the fact that it's not it's not about the fact that the the virus is in the meat that we could consume, but it's about the horrible working conditions for the people and that their proximity and the lack of safety for them is what has made these places COVID hotspots. And that there's there's a twist, right? There's a there's a nuance there that I think really deserves some attention. Yeah, it's appalling. The whole yeah. thing. I mean, it the is. number of the number of meatpacking plants that have had outbreaks in North America. I feel like I just keep re- kept reading article after article about these huge That's outbreaks, it. and it just it really felt like nothing was being done. Yep, over and over and over again, and it is like. It is like uh, it is both a highly regulated world in that with the stamping and the inspection at the federal level versus the provincial level. Like it's all very serious as mm-hmm. someone like me who's trying to dismantle some of that right in my work. But it also there is also a ridiculous monopoly that the that the the meat producers that the folks who own these these facilities have over the entire industry. And that really revealed itself. Uh, so here, here, I mean, the stats are sort of staggering, but something that I read um, in a piece uh, from a woman from the National Employment Law Project here in Canada, she said, uh, the results of the rampant spread of the virus lead to more meatpacking and poultry workers dying of coronavirus related illnesses in the last 12 months of the pandemic than from all work related causes in the last 15 years. That's right. That is like, I feel my insides sinking when I hear that. Right. It is shocking. Uh, And it wasn't the single largest uh, outbreak in North America in a meatpacking plant. Yes. Uh, Yes. In Alberta, I think. Uh, It was a meatpacking plant or it was a prison. There were a few prisons in the U.S., which is like, that's a whole other conversation, right? The prison (laughs) conversation is a whole other conversation. But yes, these are hotspots because, and, and it is because of the working conditions. This is not, this is not a Zuno's conversation necessarily, right? This right. is, this is sort of like a, a runoff element of this industrial processing and production of food. Yeah. And uh, I think it's that, important yeah. to, to just n- note that, you know, the reason all this is an issue can actually be, we can make a direct link to when we were talking about migrant workers mm-hmm. on, um, on these farms. The issue is that, you know, try as we, we may with our genetic, you know, manipulation of all these chickens and everything, like every piece of meat 
is a human animal, sorry, not a human animal, a living animal. Yes. And therefore will end up with a slightly different shape and just like fruits and vegetables all that's grow it. slightly differently. And that's why it's incredibly hard to mechanize these processes because you Completely need right. a human hand and a human eye to look at all the different, you know, to deal with all the different cuts of meat, which are almost identical, but can never be, and try as they may, <laughs> can try never be yeah. completely identical. And so that that is where the problem lies, right? Because I'm sure that if they could have replaced all these people with machines, they would have. Uh, yep. And instead, they have uh, these people who are doing, I'm sure, in the owner's mind, the job that a machine should be doing, and therefore, you know, just not really mm -hmm. valued. In it's well, clearly, and it's, there's it's no like value there. Not at all, right? The human, and sadly, it's their humanity that's not valued or recognized. They are just a working set of hands. Uh, to move the knives through those carcasses to deal with this like that, right? Some of the, uh, I found a piece um, about how, about an, an incident in an, a Cargill plant in Alberta where the RCMP are actually investigating um, whether or not they have endangered, whether the, the, the owners, Cargill, the company, has endangered worker uh, health and life by, you know, with the circumstances. And when you listen to the stories of the things that have been happening and what these workers are living through, it is like, it is chilling and shocking. Right. And not to like be too graphic and garish about it, but like we we're talking like people, uh, because it's knives, right. These folks are using knives to break these animals down and, mm -hmm. and they're moving quick, quick moves with very sharp knives. So of course, somebody's going to cut themselves. Of course, somebody's going to get hurt, but the way it gets dealt with. Right. And, and the fact that no, nothing, the, the reports that we hear from the workers is that absolutely nothing will shut down that line, right. That process and that belt and the movement of these animals through is the absolutely top priority. Whatever else happens just seems to get caught in the process and then spit out the end. Uh, right. And when we're talking about like human beings and their lives in this process, it is it, outrageous. It was so depressing to read about it because of course, yeah, they're not going to close down the plant and the people working in the factory noticed the outbreak had started, right. really wanted the factory to close. And the majority of the people working in the, these, this plant are immigrants. They're mostly That's Filipino. It. So they wrote a, a letter to their local mayor saying, please help us. Help. Yeah. And the plant would not close. And this is what really angered me. Oh, I was mm. so angry. Uh, they did a plant inspection over Zoom. <laughs> How could, I'm sorry. What, what kind of inspection cool. are you doing over Zoom? Oh. oh, I oh, so all these people can go ahead and, and be right? uh, exactly. in close proximity, but you, you better. I'm sorry, if you're too scared to go in there, maybe you need to shut that down. Uh. Hot tip. Anyway, and the results of that investigation was that uh, it was safe or as safe as it was reasonably practical for the employer to make it. Uh, so let's not forget. It is just It has amazing. to be practical for the employer. This is exactly keep it, right? Uh, because safe. keeping people properly safe doesn't always make good business sense, Morella. And so we have to really consider that. Oh, God. In the meantime, hundreds and hundreds of these workers got sick. I think it was almost half the people in the plant. Their family yes. members got sick. People died. 
and I think eventually they did shut it down for a little bit, but it, it was too little, too late. And indeed, it's just appalling. And the, I think that one of the things that that really gets my pulse racing with worry here is is the way it sort of seems to compound onto mm-hmm. things and there right there's like it's not only it's it's poor safety but then who are these people doing these jobs where have they come from who are who do they live with you know and then and then to think about all of that in the context of uh covid right where we're talking about folks who potentially uh have to take transit to get to work or you know or have to constantly right. just be exposed and then transmit potentially to others uh it is just it is very clear where the lines of privilege have fallen <laughs> let's just say that right yeah yeah and i have to say in terms of cuz we were talking in the migrant worker episode that you know the government has really stepped in and put in all kinds of regulations yes to regulate how these uh, workers are, how uh, various things, right? And so I, I decided to do a little snooping to see, okay, you know, what has the government done about this? Right. And um, so you will not be surprised to learn that uh, they did actually put, uh, the Canadian government put in quite a bit of money, 7.8 million uh, for meat plants. Uh, but listen to this list, you, you'll, you'll, You'll catch catch a little detail. Mm. I think uh, that might uh, infuriate you. It certainly infuriated me. So, um, it's the so this money is for enabling social distancing, purchasing reusable PPE, installing new protective barriers, all great, improving sanitation, and developing training for employees. But could he? Oh, the employees oh, knew the danger was there. They yes, it is. They they don't have any more work to do, friends. Uh, it is so outrageous. It is so oh. right under this smokescreen of we're going to enable our staff. Right, this is what we're going to engage our staff and enable our staff to get in there and really address these issues. When that is nothing. That's not. Yeah, that's what the problem. Is. Staff <laughs> training is not going to help you with COVID. Not no. at all. Um, and and here's the icing on the cake. Uh. These 7.8 million is part of a much, much larger fund that will also support facility upgrades that strengthen Canada's food supply. Oh, for God's sake. Right? That is it. Like, that's the last line. That's all I need. I will just march and burn something down now. Like, this is outright. This is ridiculous. And meanwhile, the Ontario government, 12 million in April to help keep employees safe and increase capacity. Right? I'm sorry, is that not the thing that needs to Or is it just me? It's so ridiculous, right? It is more corporate speak uh, to really sort of pull the wool over everybody's eyes uh, to enable them to keep operating at this wildly oppressive, destructive, and unsustainable rate, right? It's totally insane creating a monster about the food system when it's just them, right? It's it, these yes. corporate, this corporate imposition onto our food production is in fact what is making our food system unsafe and why is this all about the employees right this is a band-aid solution this is yes let us give you tons of money so that your employees don't get covid so that you can keep running no no changes in legislature for better you know maybe you know plant inspections are no longer allowed to be conducted over zoom How's that for a regulation? You know, must happen Uh, in person. Exactly. Just some basic regulations. Also, what message does this send to these meat companies that are making billions, billions of dollars every year, and 
the message they get is, hey, if your employees are unsafe, don't worry about it. We'll toss millions at you. Yep. you know, what happened to, let's pass some rules that you have to take care of your employees. Right? Here's the standard. I'm getting really worked up. <laughs> but it's, it's, I think it's legitimate, right? It is completely legitimate because it is such an outrageous idea that there is, there's a lawlessness to all of this, right? Because uh, part of, part of what we heard, what we are reading in a lot of these reports is that these companies are so big and they employ giant chunks of the towns and the cities that they are in, that they also then have the power to do things like bypass regulation and not have to worry about offering insurance and just paying out, right? I think there was some stat that I read that said that some like 70 or 80% of health-related issues with employees in such facilities are, are, are just paid out by the company, right? It is That's cheaper, appalling. easier for them to just pay these people off and settle, you know, with whatever it is, a lost limb or whatever, than to actually have to go through, uh, you know, evaluation regulatory processes. Right. It's, and, it's like the, the most glorious bloom of capitalism on our food system here, friends. That's what it is. It absolutely is. And learning that the majority of these workers are immigrants just adds an extra yes. layer of just complete. Right. And in many cases, temporary workers. Yeah. Those of us like me who have been working in this field for a while have had, uh, you know, a low grade panic seeing knowing that this you know, was going to explode in a way that was going to be really disastrous. Um, and it has. And here we are, right? We're sitting amongst the ruins sort of lying all around us about it. What all, what all the other thing I've learned that is super depressing is while the light that was shone on the situation with the migrant workers has resulted in legislative change, in this case, it really has not. And it's really emphasized the fact that here we're dealing with corporate interest. And the yes. only interest the government and the corporations have is to just keep things moving and you know something needs to change because if it doesn't this is going to be the source of our next pandemic for sure okay Mirella so what have we learned from this what are the what are we taking away here I think the biggest takeaway for me, which is maybe something you knew already, mm. is how much of a problem our current rate of misconception is. Right. Um, I always knew that for envi environmental reasons, it was good to eat less meat, but I was not at all considering these two other sides, the human impact with all of these people working in these mm -hmm. uh, meat packing plants, and then the the Zuno's creation caused, and all of this, right. at, the, at the end of the day, all of this is due to an, a huge need, right? That's exactly it. I, I mean, I think you're totally right, because this wouldn't be a thing if we did not all want to keep buying and eating this cheap meat, yeah. right? The, and, the bottom and lots line of is, it. We want to eat as much of it as we can get our hands on. One of the things that, 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 that will come up and that has come up in this COVID focus that we have for this season is the intersectionality and all of the layers that are on top of each other. And yeah. in this meatpacking conversation, to me, there appears to be an especially high stack of these intersectionalities. 
mm. right? There's the number of things. I can I can rattle off a list around things like race, gender, labor, corporate farming, health, migrant labor, um, monopolies uh, not you know uh, escaping or evading re- regulation. Uh, it's just there are so many red flags. Uh, about the way this whole system works that to me it seems like we all have to really accept the fact that our consumption of meat and the rate and volume are a problem there is an ethical responsible safe humane way to consume animals and to eat meat Uh, and it is not from a factory farm i know it's just it's challenging because it's literally twice twice the cost Right. It is. It is. In many cases, in it's, some cases, not so is, much, but in many cases, it absolutely it, it's is twice as expensive. So it's I don't know. I just feel like it's challenging to to ask people to to do that. Yep. It, and, and especially if already paying for the factory farm meat is a stretch. Right. Mm-hmm. That, like In some cases, that is a lot. So listen. As a cook and as somebody who really wants to connect people to good food and more sustainable versions of their good food, I really do think that we need to open our hearts and our mouths uh, to vegetables. Yeah. Right. It is. They have gotten sidelined a bit for a variety of reasons. They are perhaps not as great a deliverer of salt and fat, um, right, and all those things that we love to eat. But that's what um, olive oil it, is for. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and delicious flavor and cheese and all kinds of delicious, you know, wonderful things. Um, but there, I mean, there has been a practice and a, and a campaign sort of around the idea of Meatless Monday for easily a couple of decades now. Uh, right. And and I have read lots of um, of uh, advice and thought about the fact that actually just removing meat from your own diet you know, at the grassroots sort of level is Mm -hmm. one of the most effective things that an individual person can do to previously it was about to address climate change, but now the stakes have gotten bigger than just climate change, right? There's all this other host. There's all these other offenses happening. Um, So there, there are ways to do this, right? So I have some, I have some suggestions here for ways where people can actually just start taking meat out of their diet and pulling back. Meatless Monday is one, so one out of seven days, no meat at all. Uh, just having meat on the weekends is another piece. Uh, you could all potentially just have meal at, uh, sorry, just have meat at one meal a day, not necessarily all three or two, depending on how many you eat. Um, and really, what I like to do uh, with people in my in classes and things is to have people rethink the even just the prominence of meat on the plate, right? When we conceive of a dinner, it's like we're going to have roast chicken with all these other things. How about if we say we're going to have a beautiful plate of roast vegetables with a little bit of chicken? Uh, I love that, that attitude shift, right? Yeah, I love that, and I love what you said earlier also about putting more emphasis on vegetables. Because guess what? Cutting out meat doesn't necessarily mean starting to eat fake meats and meat substitutes, no, right? No, exactly. Have some beans, have some lentils, just cover some vegetables. It's, there's many ways to do it. Many, many ways. Um, and so, sweet dear listeners, to get you inspired and started, I have put a couple of recipes for vegetable dishes that I love and that I use over and over and over again to feed a crowd happily. Uh, we're posting them in the liner notes for this show uh, to get you kickstarted uh, to embrace your lower meat consumption uh, and hopefully to help you fall in love with some more vegetables. So take a look at liner notes and there's two recipes for you to try there. 
there is a cauliflower kale gratin and there is a sweet potato curry which is a rest that's a my mom's family recipe which is a major crowd pleaser If you are enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram at hotplatepod. Follow me at Virology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hotplate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Original music by her brother. Thanks for listening.